Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me, friends. This is our sixth episode exploring the book of Deuteronomy. So we're going to be talking about Israel's mission, their mission to live like they believe that Yahweh is supreme over all, and their mission to declare to the nations that Yahweh is supreme over all. Now, I think it's a really helpful principle, not just for reading Deuteronomy, but for reading all of Scripture, is to ask the question, maybe not the very first question you ask, but one of the first questions you ask when you read a passage of Scripture in the Old or the New Testament, is what would the original hearers of this heard? Like, what would they have gotten out of this particular writing, whether it's a letter from Paul or the book of Deuteronomy? And I say that because I think we often go to, for example, Genesis, right? We've just had Thanksgiving dinner with our atheist uncle, and he's asking us all these questions about, you know, how science has proven this, and science has proven that, and science has disproven that. How can you believe that? And we furiously go home and begin to flip pages frantically through the book of Genesis, and we don't find Darwin's name anywhere, there's nothing in there about the theory of evolution. We don't see anything about the Big Bang, nothing about the you know Large Hadron Collider. Right? <laughs> we get so frustrated, and we need to understand that the original readers of the book of Genesis weren't worried about Darwin. They weren't worried about the findings of modern science. The original hearers of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were the conquest generation, the children of those who left the land of Egypt and are sitting on the bank of the Jordan River about to go into the land of Canaan to conquer it. Their concern is not Darwin. Their concern is they're about to be moving in and conquering people who worship all of these different gods. And so Moses wants to make it crystal clear that the gods of the nations are not gods. And he wants to make it crystal clear what the true God is actually like. Because Moses understands, God understands through Moses, that if Israel knows what God is like, if they truly believe what the scriptures say about their God, they're going to live in a way that's going to lead to God's glory and their blessing. And so we talked about worldview in our series of episodes on the book of Genesis and in many ways, Deuteronomy is going to expound the, the governing truth at the center of Israel's worldview, and I hope at the center of our worldview, which is that Yahweh alone is God and is supreme over all things. As Deuteronomy 4.35 says, to you it was shown, like all of these wonderful things that God has done, here's why God did those things, that you might know that the Lord is God and there is no other besides him. Yahweh alone is God. Israel has to get this in their mind, no matter what their neighbor says, no matter what the nations around them say. Yahweh alone is God. He alone is a rock, a hiding place, a refuge for his people. Deuteronomy 32, 4, the rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are justice. He's a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God alone is a great and consuming presence. Right? He is a consuming fire. We are not dealing with a God who can be appeased by sacrifice if our hearts are far from him. He is the true and living God. So what's he like? Well, Deuteronomy is chocked full of propositional statements about God. God is this. Right? God is that. It tells us so much about our God. I think this is one of the reasons the New Testament authors constantly go back to the book of Deuteronomy, telling you, if you want to know what your God is like, read Deuteronomy. So what is he like? 
Well, Deuteronomy 13, 17 says that he is merciful. He says that God loves to show mercy and have compassion on you. He's loving. He shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love God and keep his commandments. He's loyal. Deuteronomy 7, 12, because you listen to these rules and keep them and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He's faithful, right? He is a God of faithfulness. He is holy, right? Deuteronomy 26, 15, look down from your holy habitation from heaven. Heaven is holy because that's where God is. Holy means separate. Holy means unique. Holy means pure. This is our God. He is eternal. The eternal God is your resting place. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, God has no beginning. He has no end. He is Lord over time, sovereign over time. He is eternal. He is impartial. Deuteronomy 10, 17, and 18, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. God protects those that the world tries to abuse and exploit, and he will not show favoritism to the wealthy or the powerful. He is just. Right? He, all of his ways are justice. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, Just and upright is he. God will always, in the end, he will always destroy the wicked and redeem and rescue the righteous. He's just, always. But that's his character, right? That's what God is like. What is God? <laughs> and here we're, we're sort of stepping out into the mist and we, we need to be aware of our limitations as humans. But God has revealed some things about himself so that we can know and believe. With respect to his being, what Deuteronomy tells us is that he is distinct from his creation. The Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. God is everywhere, but everywhere is not God. God is not trapped in the river or trapped in the sky. He's not one with the, you know, the cosmos. God is God, and then there's the things that God made. There's God, and then draw a line between God, and underneath God, there's all of creation. He is present in his creation, but he is distinct from his creation. Right, so you have these twin truths, that God is distinct from his creation and yet fully present and active in it. Every other religion in the world jettisons one of these two ideas. Either, like Hinduism or Buddhism, God is not distinct from his creation. He's, you know, sort of blended, this sort of pantheism where God is everywhere, everywhere is God. Or, like deism, or in many ways, Islam, God is not present and active. That God is so far distant from us that he's not really active in the world. Yet, biblical Christianity, biblical truth says that God is distinct and yet fully present and active in it, as we see most clearly in the person of Jesus. So that's what God is like. That's what God is. What can God do? Well, with respect to his power, Deuteronomy reminds us that God is the creator of humanity. As Deuteronomy 4.32 says, the day that God created man on the earth, that God is the creator, not just of Adam and Eve, but of all of humanity. He's the universal judge, right? All people will stand before God and give account. He is the sole controller of all things. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart. The Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. You, you think about the pantheon of the Greeks where you've got Zeus in charge of the sky and Poseidon's in charge of the water and you've got Athena and you've got Hera and you've got Apollos and Hades, all these different gods in charge of different localities. 
The Bible says no to all of that. God is God. He is the sole controller of all things. And since that's what he's like, and that's what he can do, and that's what he actually is in himself, that means Yahweh alone must be Israel's father. They must live as if they believe that they have a heavenly father who will guide them, protect them, he will discipline them, and that they owe their love and loyalty to him. He alone is their redeemer. They, the nations around them would try to bribe the gods with sacrifices and, and acts of service. Israel doesn't have to do that because God has already redeemed them. They belong to him. They're free from the slavery that the nations are toiling under. He's the covenant maker, which means God not only initiates the relationship, but God is the one who sets the terms for how he and his people are going to relate to one another. He's the warrior. Deuteronomy 130, the Lord your God goes before you. He will fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. The scouts are going to come back and tell the people, we can't take the land of Canaan because the people are bigger than us. And what they forget is that They're not bigger than God. He's the warrior for his people. He's their protector. He is a consuming fire, yes, if they sin, but if they will simply trust in God, the fire will be around them and will protect them. No matter who comes against God's people, he is able to protect them. He is their guide, right? Moses reminds the people that God went before you in the way. He sought out a place for them to pitch their tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. Now, for the people of Israel, that was a literal guide. But for us today, it's still the same. We don't know where to go. We need God to guide us in the decisions that we make from day to day. He is their teacher. Deuteronomy 1.3, in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. God is teaching his people, teaching them who he is, teaching them who they are, teaching them about their salvation, teaching them about what their salvation is for. God teaches his people. God is Israel's prayer answerer. They don't pray to the gods of crops and harvest. They don't pray to the gods of fertility. They don't pray to the gods of war. They pray to Yahweh. He alone is God. He alone answers their prayers. He is their provider. He provides rain and sunshine. He provides the crops. He provides protection. He provides wisdom. He provides every single thing they need. As Moses reminds the people, the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. God is Israel's disciplinarian. Deuteronomy 8.3, God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God disciplines his people because he loves them. He's their tester. Now, if you can remember, we talked about this in the book of Numbers, that in reality, the idea of testing and temptation are very closely related. The difference is intent. In every moment of testing that God gives, not trying to get us to sin, but rather to see that he can be trusted, that he can be relied on, that he can be depended upon. In every single one of these moments of testing, Satan is also there trying to get us to grumble and complain and doubt, but God is going to test his people. One of the ways that Deuteronomy says he'll test them is by allowing false prophets to come upon them. He says, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, right? Someone who comes and maybe they make an accurate prediction about the future. And then when everyone starts to think, wow, this must be, must be a real prophet. He said it was going to rain, then it rained. And the prophet says, hey, you know, we can worship other gods besides just Yahweh. Let's live a little. Don't listen to the words of that prophet. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God is going to test his people to strengthen their faith 
so that they can receive more of his blessing and can be witnesses in the world. God alone is Israel's judge. Now that has a negative and a positive impact, right? The negative would be, hey, uh, you're going to stand before God one day and you're going to give an account for every single thing that you say, every single thing that you do. So live accordingly. But the positive is it doesn't matter if all the peoples around you think you're crazy. A lot of us have grown up with the idea of monotheism, the worship of one God as being sort of normal. That, that's what most people do. If you either worship no God or one God. We don't know a lot of people who worship more than one God. But understand how completely foreign this would have been to the people of the Old Testament. And I'm sure lots of people laughed at Israel. Like they worship one God. How weird is that? And God wants them to know, I'm your judge. You stand before me. You don't answer to the people of this world. God alone is Israel's restorer. Right When all of these things come upon them because of their sin, you will return to the Lord your God and you will obey his voice. The Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. God knows his people are going to fail. He knows that he's going to discipline them, but God's curse is never his final word. And that means that God alone can be Israel's savior. Deuteronomy 33, 29. Happy are you, O Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, the sword of your triumph? Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. We have hope. God's people have hope, not because one day we'll get it right, but because God lives to be our Savior. He delights to be our Savior. So we've seen who God is. We've seen what God is like. We've seen what God is capable of. We've seen how Israel is to view their God. A few more thoughts on the centrality of God's identity for the Israelite worldview. Because he is God, he deserves their all. Hear, O Israel, the Shema says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. God deserves it all. They are being encouraged to think about what God has done, think about who he is, and ask, what, what would you withhold from this God? This God is worthy of all of your love and your affection. And because he is God, he must hate and punish sin. God cannot be God and wink the eye at sin. He can't shrug his shoulders at sin. He must discipline us for our sins, and he will. He certainly will because of who he is. Because God is God, he must hate all influences that undermine his rule. That's why he tells the people in Deuteronomy 7, 25-26, The carved images of their God you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it's an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. God says, when you conquer these people, don't for one sec- don't hold on to the trinkets. Don't hold on to the idols. No matter how much gold and silver, destroy it. Don't be led astray like the people were by these idols. Because God is God, he must oppose all satisfactions that do not result in his praise. God wants us to have true, lasting joy. And God knows that if we seek true, lasting joy in the things of this world, then we will make them an idol and we will be destroyed by his wrath. And so God opposes our happiness if our happiness is going to be short-term and then in destruction. So God will slap the idols out of our hands Not because he doesn't want us to have joy, but because he wants us to have true joy, lasting joy, and he wants us to have himself. God's people must always be on guard and be at war against all forms of idolatry. 
Yahweh deserves our respect. And this respect is a natural response for those who have truly met God. As we've made the point over and over again, if we've actually had our eyes opened by God's grace to see who he is, we don't have to be told, fear the Lord. It's a natural response. We don't have to be told, love the Lord. It's a natural response to seeing him, for finally having our eyes open to see him for who he is. We, we have a sinful nature that's going to tug at our hearts and try to lead us astray from God. But Moses is writing Deuteronomy to the people of Israel and to us to say, hold fast, hold on to this God. He is the only Savior, the only satisfier of our souls. Deuteronomy is good news for those who respond to God's revelation of himself in faith, hope, and love. As it says in Deuteronomy 33, 26, and 29, There is none like God, O Israel, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. This is our God. And as we worship him, we will not only receive joy, but as we live a life of holiness and obedience, the nations will see what this God is like, and they will be drawn to his light that shines through us. That's how it was for Israel, and that's how it will be for us until the Lord Jesus comes and our faith becomes sight. So friends, next time we come together, Lord willing, we're going to look at some lessons we can learn from the book of Deuteronomy as we wrap up this study. But for now, take up and read. God bless.